Well, I'm glad you guys are here to celebrate communion with us tonight, and uh, that gives us a chance to talk about one of my favorite things to do, which is eat. Um, I'm not a fan of food to the extent that Pastor Kelvin is, or maybe Jim is, but, um, but I like it none, nonetheless. Yes, that was a shot, Jim. But, uh, you know, it's just a good thing to get together and eat. So if you're tonight gathered here to join us for a meal and you're sitting all by yourself, you need to know something that I found in research. You die quicker if you eat alone. So um, if you're sitting all alone, you might want to move in closer to, this, closer to some other people. Also, because it's cold in here, you can just share the body heat of people around you. One of the best dinner invitations I ever received was for a dinner party where I really didn't know the other people in who were invited, and I really was just only getting to know the host. It was an intentional mixer. I bet my wife doesn't even remember this, but uh, the guest's thing, the only thing the guests had in common was the fact that they were invited by the host. It was, turned out to be a wonderful dinner, great decorations, great food, great conversation, um, but it was because of this interesting cross-section of the people that were invited and served. There were people from different backgrounds and all parts of the city where I grew up in. And as the saying goes, they came, we came from all different walks of life. But we had all been offered a seat at this table. And we found fellowship there and we found great conversations about God. The food was prepared and we were there to get to know each other and to get to know the host much better. That dinner reminds me much of the dinner that we've all been invited to. And that's the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's going to be thrown by God for Jesus at the end of this era. And when we get there, similarly, some of us, the only thing we're going to have in common is the fact that we've been invited by the host. We won't know each other very well. Some of us, if we've been in the same church, we'll know each other better, but there's going to be lots of guests there, and they're going to be coming from all walks of life, all stages and places on this globe. And they will be there in response to God's invitation to come and enjoy a banquet in honor of his son. So tonight, as we take communion, we anticipate that coming banquet table. The Bible whets our appetite for this event with these words from Revelation 19, 6-9. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like the loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given, to wear, given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, Write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. Well, we are all blessed to be invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Jesus is the Lamb, and it's God's wedding banquet where he'll be married to the church, his bride. The metaphor of marriage highlights the, the way that we'll be eternally committed one to another the church to Christ and Christ to the church. And it's going to begin with a celebration. It's going to begin with a party. And when there's a party, there's always invitations, which raises, I think, the most important social media question of the day. Are you going to the king's banquet? You know how you get those little invites on Facebook if you're one of those people, and just, are you going to go to this? Are you going to go to this dinner? Are you going to go to this um, shower? Are you going to go to this? But there's an invitation standing for us all. Are you going to go to the king's banquet? You may have many invitations to consider in the next little while. Marriages, staff parties, business deal dinners. I have a high school reunion to consider going to. I don't know how I'm going to get out of it because my mom's on the committee. 
But the most important and significant invitation you'll ever receive is from God, from the God of the universe, to come and have supper with his son. The passage we're considering tonight causes us to reflect on our current response to God's invitation to be at the banquet in honor of his son. Facebook usually allows you to decline or say maybe or say yes, you'll be going, but we all know that maybe is the polite way to say I'm not committed. So we only really have two answers. We either reject the invitation or we submit to it. The parable Jesus tells us tonight causes us to consider deeply the consequences of rejecting the invitation, but it also highlights the stunning fact that we have all been invited to dine with Jesus Christ. If you turn to Matthew chapter 22, I'd like to read to you this parable that Jesus taught. Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 to 14. Starting at verse 1, Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business, business, The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners and invite invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guest... He noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of the teeth, for many are invited, but few are chosen. This is the word of God. Let's pray as we prepare to study it. Father, I thank you for this word, and I pray that tonight it would prepare us for your table as we commemorate the death of Jesus Christ and and what that has meant to so many of us, Lord. We want to learn all we can from you, Jesus, because you teach us the way of life. So, Lord, help us have ears to hear and eyes to see. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I was saying to people that as I brought these two passages to prepare, I made the mistake of looking at the titles but not looking at the text. And I thought, again, tonight, since we we're going to have a, a, uh, this communion, that I'd be talking about something easy, the parable of the wedding banquet, and didn't realize that this was going to have this stern warning in the middle of it. So once again, we have something a bit serious to talk about, but there is this hope that everybody has been invited to the table. This parable is not so much about the food or the banquet as it is about the people who are invited. The banquet itself is the scenario or the backdrop, which helps us understand the spiritual condition of the people that are invited to the banquet. So as we read this, we're going to have to come to terms or come to an understanding of the things that Jesus is teaching. And there are three ideas that I think we must understand as we prepare ourselves for communion tonight. The first understanding we must come to is this. God has planned a celebration, and you are invited. That's how it starts. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. 
The first words start, sound a note of excitement. There's a party plan. Something good is going to happen. I've noticed as our young adults and, and people that have been around here have been getting engaged and buying each other rings and pairing up and all that stuff that we start to get excited with each announcement of a wedding that's coming. It's exciting to announce these things. And in this case, it's a king. It's a royal wedding that we're anticipating. And he's throwing a party in honor of his son. This is not the first time that we see Jesus using wedding analogy to help us understand the kingdom. He used it before in the parable of the ten virgins that Pastor Kelvin preached about. The wedding is symbolic of the age of Jesus Christ, the messianic age. It's the time of the prophetically announced anointed one had come. So the idea of this wedding is a celebration in the story that's really about life. Christ had come and everybody should be excited because the king is here and we're gonna, get, we're gonna get to celebrate that at any moment. And with it being a royal wedding, we can expect a lavish time, right? I don't know if you've received dinner party invitations to, to an expensive meal. Have you ever done an expensive meal somewhere where it's lavish? How many of you have been treated to something like that? Yeah, I know, we, we don't know enough rich people, right? <laughs> But uh, every now and then we splurge and we do stuff. Uh, Hannah and I stepped it up one time. We went to Quebec and we had dinner at the Chateau Frontenac, right? And we paid for the, the king's meal where they come and they, they cook the, 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 um, the meat right beside you in that impressive display of flames and stuff like that. And of course, they don't burn it like I would if I was doing it at home. They mash the cauliflower so it was like this, this wonderful thing. And they serve you all sorts of things and it's just wonderful and you pay through the nose for it. Right, but it's lavish, it's an expensive meal set in a fine place on a fine setting and everybody around you looks amazing. It's a lavish party that we're expecting. Royal weddings today are still expensive affairs. I did some research and went looking on the internet to find out what are the most expensive weddings there were, just thinking, well, would someone keep a list like that? And they do. And it turned out that the most expensive wedding in history cost $110 million. It was when, um, I'm going to get this wrong because I don't pay attention to the royals, but it was when Prince Charles married Diana, right? And some of, I think that was probably televised or something like that. Drew will know. Yes, Drew is our royal, royals expert in the youth ministries department. But, um, you know, th these things, wedding dresses and food and cars and opulence and dancing and, and decorations and hairstyles and all that stuff that we do, our weddings are just a small idea of that. But we tend to lavish these things. And this is a party. The king of the universe is throwing a party for his son, and it's going to be a great thing, and we're all holding on to an invitation. That's the mood of this when it begins. The king is setting a party, the wedding banquet for his son. And there are two groups as we read the, the parable that are invited. One group is a group of people that already know the king. They get invitations sent to them, and it's a special request to join them for their presence. And sometimes we get invitations like that from people we know well, and we receive the invitation. We're like, we got to go to this thing. It's, it's from so-and-so, and they want us to be there, and it's so good to see them because the invitation signifies that we are important to those people. The invitation tells us that we're important to the host of this wedding and to the son. The invitation itself grants you... Uh, access to all they're going to offer to their guests, access to the special party afterwards, access to the, to, the, to the hall, access to the pictures, access to everything there. The invitation is this thing that shows us we're important to the guests. But the invitation also has that note that it's personal. It signifies that there's a relationship that already exists between you and the person throwing the party. And that's the way it was for God and some of the people that received the invitations. And so because of this relationship, when you get the invitation, you know that you need to go. It's not going to be a wedding that you can get out of. 
right? It's going to be one of these things. So you look at your calendar quickly and you circle the date and you say, I'm going to be there. I have to be there. It's going to be important. It's going to be a lavish party and I want to go. That's what you do when it's for a friend. And that's definitely what you do if a king invites you to a wedding. You need to go. So one group already knows the king. The second group doesn't know him at all. So it's interesting at this banquet, we're going to see there's going to be people that have known the king for a long time, and there's going to be other people invited who go that don't know him very much at all. Due to a plot turn in this parable, some people later in the passage are invited to the party, but they just come out from the streets. The street corners is what the NIV says, but it really means the crossroads, a fork in the road where people from near and far are traveling and intersecting, and the servants of God are sent out to this place to gather people for this party. So these people come in, they don't really know this king, they don't know this land, they're just like, there's a party, I have an invitation, it's got gold embroidery on it, it's gonna be by a king for a, for a prince, there's gonna be food, there's gonna be steak, there's gonna be dancing, there's gonna be dresses, there's gonna be clothes, there's gonna be music, there's gonna be food, there's going to be food, there's going to be food, right? It's going to be awesome. So they go, but they don't know the king. It's like when you get a free ticket someplace to something special, which has happened to me one time, although I didn't get to capitalize on it because I didn't even know I received the ticket. But one, one morning I came in on a Sunday, I went to my mailbox here at the church, and I opened it up, and I looked quickly, and there was four tickets for the Raptors in there. And I was like, great, I've got tickets for the Raptors, right? I don't know where they came from. I, don't, I didn't buy them myself. I didn't, they didn't have a note on them. It just said Raptors versus, um, uh, oh boy, Dwayne Wade and LeBron James when they're on the same team down in Miami. There it is, right? And I said, Miami, who gets tickets for these things? And I was like, this is awesome. This is amazing. I, I went to church. I was extra happy because the Lord had blessed me and all this kind of stuff. And I went back to my office and realized I missed the date. But... Um, <laughs> It was a sad thing. But I remember receiving these free tickets, and it just made me feel special. I didn't know the person who'd given them to me. I didn't understand it wasn't anything else, but just because it was such a great thing to go, I felt that I wanted to go to this party. And that's what it's like. The second group just gets a lottery. They just, here's some tickets, and you get to go to this party, this banquet. So two groups are invited. Well, who are these two groups? Well, the first invitation we understand from Jesus' teaching and the rest of Matthew that those are the Israelites. They're the people that already had an existing relationship with God. And in this parable, they reject the invitation to go to the wedding banquet. They reject the king and they reject Christ. The second group are the Gentiles, the nations beyond Israel, who are invited later because of this rejection, and they received an invitation to come and fill up the space that could have been taken by, this, by these chosen people. They are the ones that don't know God yet, but are getting to know him. But regardless of whether they received the early invitation or the late one, both groups are invited. And so we learn that when you get the inv invitation, it doesn't matter. It's that you got the invitation that matters. So a couple things to summarize as we leave this first section. The invitation has gone out, and it's enticing. We read that the, the fattened calf is, is prepared. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered. There's going to be steak, right? And with steak, there's always something nice to drink. And there's, there's probably going to be music and party and atmospheres. And, and this is not a, 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 an Eastern world type of celebration. This is a Western world celebration, so it's going to last for some time. This is an event. This is something that we're going to really enjoy. It's still the same today. The best parties I go to at this stage in my life, um, it used to be birthday parties when we were kids. You look, look forward to a birthday party invitation. 
right? Balloons and, and, and all sorts of things, right? But you get older and the next best party you can look forward to is somebody's wedding, right? I don't know if you've been to a better party than a celebration at a wedding, but those are always the great ones because there's going to be tons of people there. Someone else is going to pay for your dinner. There's going to be a DJ. There's going to be nice dresses you're going to wear on your nice clothes. And that's the kind of mood that's going on. So it's going to be enticing. And we notice that this invitation is repeated. It comes out four times, actually, which is interesting because customarily it only needed to go out twice. You get the announcement that there's going to be a wedding, and then when the wedding was prepared, the feast was prepared, you'd get another announcement to say, come, or it's ready. But God sends servants a third time and a fourth time to find people to go to this, to this party. He really wants people to come. We learn that anyone can go. The second invitation opens the door to all who can be found at the crossroads. Good and bad are welcome. We learn that in verse 10. And when you're there, God speaks to you as though you're one of his friends. We read, read that title to one of the guests in verse 11. So as we begin this passage, we must understand that God expects a positive response to his, to his invitation. He really wants you to go to this banquet. So that's the first understanding. The second understanding is this. Those who go recognize God's authority, but many reject him. Those who go recognize God's authority, but many reject him. This parable doesn't tell us much about those who actually go to the party. It talks a lot more about those who reject him. But we, we have to assume that since it's the king, since it's the king that sent the invitation, those who go say, okay, I'm going to listen to the king. I'm going to go to the party. The king has asked me to come. It's more like a summons than it is an invitation in that case. And they, they accept the invitation, and they recognize his authority. This parable is a metaphor about the kingdom of heaven, so the citizens are going to be those who obey that king. And since Jesus is God's son, honoring the king requires that the citizens recognize the Messiah. But some people, surprisingly, reject the king's son and therefore reject the God king himself who calls them to celebrate. And this is where the problem begins. This is the challenge that this parable addresses. So the parable explains how this rejection takes place. And it's an allusion to the way that the nation of Israel responded to Jesus when he claimed to be their Messiah. There are five observations that we can make really quickly as we study this passage, and here they come. So first we look for those that reject, G reject this offer in verse 3. Um, in verse 4, he sends them more servants and they begin to make excuses. That's the first thing they do. They reject his authority. They make my priorities come first type of excuses. It says they don't pay attention. They go off to their own things. Some go off to their fields. Some go off to their business. Whatever it is that they have going on, it's far more important than this lavish banquet that the king has been prepared. And even though it's ready now, they still have things they want to do that are going to get in the way of them going to this party. So they reject his authority by making excuses. Those who reject his authority ignore and abuse his servants. This is a rebuke on Israel for the way they treated his prophets, but it's similar to us when we just don't pay attention to those that are inviting us to do God's will. It gets worse as people begin to rebel. They, they take his prophets and they kill them. They take his servants and they, they kill them. They mistreat them and kill them, it says in verse 6. Those who don't go... The king says they don't deserve to have the king's favor. And those who don't go actually reject his son. So we have in the middle of this parable the uncomfortable situation where the king has invited people to come to him and they don't want to come. They make excuses. They abuse the messengers. They 
they crumple up the invitation and throw it in the garbage or send it back and say, I don't care about you. I don't want, any, I don't want anything to do with you. And the parable condemns the decision of those who reject the invitation and teaches us to expect consequences for rudely rejecting God's invitation because, as we learn, it, it, it enrages the Lord. While we may not be able to see the consequences today of rejecting God, the Bible warns us of them, and they are severe. The judgment on those that rejected him was that he sent an army to them and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. And this festive mood suddenly changes. We're talking about a party, and now we're talking about a war, a raiding party, and there's, there's smoke, and there's, there's death, and it's, it's a, an uncomfortable moment in this passage because people have rejected him. And while it's not teaching us exactly what judgment in hell is going to be like, it reminds us of these things. And it conveys that God will not spare the Israelites or anyone who kills his prophets and rejects his authority. It's sobering teaching. It causes us to, to think through these things carefully as we examine ourselves because it tells us how God feels about those who reject his son. Now, before we get too discouraged, we must remember all the parables we've been hearing about the Lord's grace. Even this morning, we heard a great sermon about, the God, about God's grace. It's grace for anyone who would turn away from their sin and choose to recognize God's authority and choose to accept Christ as their Savior. However, God is not only gracious, as some people would have us believe. There are teachings out there that try to help us understand that there's not going to be any punishment for those who sin or there's not going to be any type of hell for those who reject God. But this parable says there will be consequences. They will be uncomfortable. They will be deadly. They will be severe. God punishes those who persist in their sin. Wrath awaits those who reject the relationship he offers them when they choose to offend the king with their behavior. So you might ask yourself, why is judgment on those who reject him so harsh? Why does it have to be death and murder and an army and, and burning the village? Why does it have to be like that? Well, we get the sense from this story that those who rejected the invitation kept doing it, kept doing it, kept doing it, to the point that we have to understand that they totally abhorred the idea of God being in charge of their lives, totally rejected the idea of celebrating his son, did not want anything to do with the Savior or the Lord that God would provide for them. Their actions amounted to a revolt, a rebellion from the king. And in the end, they tried to live their own lives, but they are unsuccessful because there's no escape from the sovereignty of God. And so they learned this, that total rejection of his rule will lead to the total experience of his wrath. And even those who just ignored him are considered undeserving, and they lose his favor. And that's, the, that's here in the heart of this passage, this warning to us that we can't take this invitation lightly, that we can't just disregard it and ignore it and put it to the side, but we must respond to it and we must say yes and we must go to this banquet or we'll lose God's favor. We are fortunate because we know that if we're here and we've responded to this invitation, we have God's favor now. But as we think about it, we have to understand that the application to us is that we should not expect God's favor to last if we ignore his invitations for us to follow him. If we put our interests ahead of his and we submit and we don't submit to him but do our own thing, it changes the way God feels about us. It changes the way he responds to us. 
So our response to God's invitation to submit to him affects his judgment about us. So we know that salvation is offered freely and unconditionally, but salvation is offered for a certain reason, not just so that we can get out of hell, but so that we can have a relationship, a good relationship with the king. And so we know that the really saved won't reject his authority or mistreat his servants. Here's what I was thinking about as as I was preparing for this. When God invites us to do something, to celebrate Christ, our response reveals the present condition of our hearts as either being submissive to him or rejecting him. When he invites you to celebrate Jesus Christ and you don't respond, that reveals something about your heart. It says you're either surrendered or, or you are not. You're rejecting that offer, and there's no escape for it. So we have to understand as we prepare for communion that the only way to respond to this invitation is to accept God's authority over our lives. It's a sobering thought. The third understanding we need to come to is that those who go must be appropriately dressed in order to stay. Those who go to this banquet must be appropriately dressed in order to stay. I got a little nervous as I came to the office this afternoon early, just left the house in what I was wearing and got to my notes and looked up at the clock at 5 o'clock and realized I wasn't going to get to go home. And I thought, oh, I'm not going to have a jacket for, um, for communion. I might f- be considered to be underdressed, right? There's a sense here that when you're going to a certain type of party, you're supposed to dress up and put on the right kind of clothes, right? There, we, we do that still for weddings. We, we have wedding clothes. How many of you guys have clothes for fancy occasions still in your wardrobe somewhere, right? We still have that, right? And you don't bring them out except for when it's a really important party. I would like to get myself actually one of those black bow ties. I have, I'm still working on my black tie affair suit, right? Because it's special, right? I got to get some shoes and all that. But, but when you get to those parties, you're supposed to be dressed the right way or else you stand out. And a wedding is one of those kind of places where you're supposed to be dressed the right way. So there's this focus. Jesus is telling a practical, practical story and, and he talks about the clothing that people show up to this party in. So in the final section of this parable, we see a shift of focus now from Israel, the first group of people that were invited but rejected the invitation, to a new group of people that don't know God but are found by the servants at the crossroads or the street corners where all people from all walks of life, whether they knew God or didn't know God, whether they're rich or poor, whether they um, are local or travel foreigners, they're all invited. They all get this gift, this invitation to come to the party. And it's the king who sends them out. When I think of the crossroads, I think of places where people just go to do life, where they go to conduct their business, where they go to meet friends and buy food and and shop and hang out and just watch things. It's where the action always is. People are often on foot, and in many cultures, these are open-air spaces. So I think about places where there's lots of room, like our lobby, or maybe like the airport where there's people coming from all over the place, or um, shopping malls or the smart centers on a Saturday. This one up by me is crazy on a Saturday, the Home Depot and, and the super center up there. It's just it's so many people there. There's all sorts of humanity there. Or my favorite to go and watch people from different places is Union Station in Toronto, where you see everybody and everything, right? And it's there that Jesus, that God sent his servants to call new people to come to his banquet. Everyone is there, and they're all invited. And this is an an critical part in what God's doing, because 
scriptures predicted this would happen. The, the idea that the invitation would go from Israel to the world was predicted. Isaiah 53 3 talks about it, that they would reject the Messiah. And way back in Genesis chapter 12, when God made a promise to Abraham, he said, I will bless the world through your offspring. And in Acts chapter 2, that promise was fulfilled because the gospel went out to all the nations. People heard the gospel and began to understand what was happening for Israel was going to benefit them, and they received Christ, and they received the Holy Spirit, and they were brought in, and they were ushered into this life called the church, and they were made part of this bride, and this huge shift in focus, and it's all because of God's plan. It wasn't just this random thing, and what I want you to understand is that if you are in here, it's because God wants you. He, he's thinking about you, and it was a plan. It's not just random. You didn't just sneak in. It wasn't that it was an accident. It was because it was always planned, and he always planned to bless us. So how has he blessed us exactly? How has that happened? Well, he's made it very easy for us to be part of the chosen people. He's invited us regardless of how we've lived before we received the invitation. There was absolutely no condition necessary for them to meet before they were invited. It said good and bad were brought into the party. They didn't know God before. And that's the way we find ourselves. Some of us in here were good, some of us were bad, and some of us were probably very bad if we look back at it, right? But none of our behavior was the condition for receiving the invitation. It was God's doing. The second thing that he did to bless us is he provides what we need to be accepted at the party. It was customary for the host of the wedding banquet to provide garments for those coming. I don't know why that's the case. I was trying to find that find more to understand about that, but I only found one note that said these clothes that this man was expected to be found in, they were provided by the king. And I was thinking, wouldn't it be great if you got invited to your next wedding and that invitation was telling you it's going to be a lavish party and then it came with another package? And in that package, it was the outfit you were supposed to wear. And that outfit was a Giorgio Armani suit or, you know, the equivalent of a Giorgio Armani dress, right? That kind of stuff, right? The clothes, that are supposed to come with it are provided so that when you show up, you look good, right? Right, it hides every bump. <laughs> Takes 10 years off of where you want 10 years to be taken off of, right? It goes well with your hair and your shoes and everything. It's the right outfit and it's provided by you, for you by the host. He's got that much money, right? And you get to keep it, it's yours. The only thing is when you show up at the wedding, you're supposed to be wearing it, right? So he's, done, he's blessed us that way. And he gives us this garment because he wants us to understand that it absolutely matters how we're found at the party if we want to stay. If we, if we show up looking like the king expects us to look, we get to stay. But as this man found out, he says, where are the clothes you're supposed to be wearing? He says, I don't know. I have nothing to say. I have nothing to present to you. He says, that guy's got to leave. Now, it's not about the external clothes. Hopefully we understand that. The scriptures encourage us about how we should be dressed, but they're always talking in a symbolic manner. It's about a changed heart and our allegiance to Christ. And if your heart is not right with God, you won't be accepted. And conformity of heart and behavior matter. James made that point, that it's not just that we say we believe, but that we do the things that show that we have enjoyed this new righteousness. There's many things that the scriptures say about these clothes. Listen to these verses. Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desire of the flesh. Romans 13, 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, 
gentleness and patience. That's Colossians 3.12. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. 1 Peter 5.5. Everyone in the king's clothes showed that they wanted to celebrate the way the king desired them to celebrate. It's this way. We receive that garment, that gift that's going to help us fit in at this royal party. And if we we put it on, we're going to be fine. But it's as though someone said, you know, rather than these king's clothes, I'm just going to go and I'm going to make something out of the rags that I have in my garage. I'm going to take the greasy old t-shirt and those dusty old rags and the paint clothes. I'm going to cobble something together and I'm going to try to pass it off as though it fits in with what the king would want me to look like. And that's the way we come to God sometimes trying to present our self-righteousness or our own activities and say, doesn't this look good? And God says, compared to what Christ offers you by his blood and by his broken body, your righteousness, your efforts appear as filthy rags, stuff that you pull together from the garage and try to pass it off as the wedding garments. That's not going to do. And so the person who came in wearing those kind of clothes was cast out. And it catches our attention. It reminds us that only those who want to celebrate and want to conform are going to stay at the banquet. We are warned. We are warned. We can't just celebrate without thinking of what the king wants. So as we come to the table, we are warned. But let us be encouraged. The invitation has gone out to all of us, and we all can come. This banquet is in the future, and we can think today whether we're on the right track. I want to go to the king's banquet, and you're here because you want to go to the banquet as well. Think of all the different people you're going to meet there. We're going to be people from all walks of life. And we're going to get to sit and talk with them and find out different things about them. There's going to be people there, people like a man named Edward Moat. I'm going to ask the worship team to come and get ready for our communion time. But I want to tell you about this man named Edward Moat. You might know him. He was going, he's going to be at the King's Banquet, and we're going to get to hear his story. He was born in England, in London, England. He was one of the people that came by invitation that came to him at the crossroads. This is what I found about him. It says this, Moat was not brought up in a godly home and did not have the advantage of early exposure to Scripture. In fact, his parents managed a pub in London and often neglected young Edward, who spent most of his Sundays playing in the city streets. Of his theological upbringing, he said, so ignorant was I that I did not know there was a God. I didn't even know there was a God. Well, Edward, by the grace of God, by the invitation that came to him, became a believer sometime in his teens. He was baptized and began to work as a carpenter. On his way to work one day, he got an idea for a song. He wrote the the things down for that song, and the song became stanzas of a hymn that is still popular today. The fifth and sixth stanza of this hymn are not as well known, but they convey these ideas. Midst the hell of all I, I feel within, on his completed work I lean. I trust his righteous character, his counsel, promise, and his power, his honor, and his names at stake to save me from the burning lake. He understood the warning. He understood that this invitation saved him from the wrath of God. The fourth stanza of this song is the one that explains his understanding of the necessity of the garments that God provides for us, the righteousness that we have from Christ, the righteousness that we will celebrate that comes to us as we um, celebrate the table. He understands that God gave us them. He wrote this, When he shall come with trumpet sound, O may I then in him be found, dressed 
in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. That's what the king gives us, a new garment, something that we can put on which will allow him to accept us in which we look like royalty too. And as we come, we need to examine ourselves and say, what have I brought? Have I brought my own righteousness? Or have I come expecting yours? Am I coming putting on the character of Christ? Am I coming as, as though I've submitted to the invitation? Or am I coming with things in my life that show that I reject him? The communion table is a gathering for the proclamation of Christ's death for our sins. And it's, anticip- it's anticipating this banquet that's coming.